You're listening to the August 6th message of Man to Man, the men's ministry of Grace Church in Frisco. Bob Hughes gives leadership to Man to Man and is the speaker for this teaching on vocation, God at work in all of life. Bob looks back at the history of how we inherited the myth of the sacred-secular divide. He then moves the listener through the Reformation to its effects on breaking the myth down to show God at work in all of life. The teaching concludes with a 20-minute panel discussion to apply the material. If you didn't make this time, we hope you'll plan to join us next time. Lord willing, it'll take place Saturday, October 29th. For more information, please see the church website. A six-page outline with additional scriptures, quotes, and study points was posted on the gracechurchfrisco.org website. Look under the tab Church Life and then the drop-down Men's Ministry to gain access to the Man-to-Man page. Here's Bob Hughes. Spirit of God, you're the only one that changes anybody. So, uh, Lord, would you take this, uh, this time? Would you open the eyes of our understanding? Lord, I just pray Paul's prayer. Lord, I pray you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding would be opened, that we would know the hope of your calling. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're talking about vocation. Uh, it's, one of, it's, it, it's a word that we're not familiar with for the most part, uh, but it's a very significant historic word in the history of the church, the, the issue of vocation. Okay, and so today, vocation can be pretty confusing. You know, you could have a vocational calling, which means that, you know, maybe you're a pastor, right? And one day you're going to preach the gospel. Or you may go to vocational school, which means that you're probably going to change oil over Jiffy Lube, right? And so it can be a confusing thing to think what the heck a vocation is. But the word vocation comes from the Latin Vulgate Bible, and it basically very simply means calling, okay? Calling. And so there can be, depending on what, what generation we're a part of, there can be a hierarchy of our perception of what significant callings are, right? Um, today, it's all about being a sports, uh, you know, a great sports athlete, or you might be an entertainment, or you might be Donald Trump, you're a wealthy guy, some kind of a business mogul. Back in the day, probably the dude that, that found how you make fire got all the girls, okay? Um, but... But understanding, and you know, guess what? Even in the church, there can be this high, even in church culture, and this will surprise us, right? There can be this hierarchical understanding of what really living an eternally significant life is all about, right? So let's, let's, let's think these things through. Um, at the top, okay, in, in, in Christianese, the top, let me get my pen going here. You got a church planner, right? That's the coolest. Church planter. Um, if, if, you can't, if you can't be a church planter, well, then maybe you'd be a pastor, right? Uh, if you can't, when we're working our way down, if you, can't, if you can't be a pastor, then maybe, what? where do we go from there? Worship leader? Okay. And if you can't do that... Uh, you know, at some point, you, you, it ain't happening in the church, so now we've got to find some job out there that we know is like a big zero, but we've got to do our best. So, 
you, so we go to, you know, maybe we're going to be like Leroy Kim, we're going to be a doctor. You know, that's, maybe we help some people that way, or if you can't do that, maybe be a pharmacist. Or, um, you know, if you really want to work your way down, when it really gets lousy is you're a lawyer, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, what's the, the latest lawyer joke is, what's the difference between a lawyer and a, uh, a, a vulture? The lawyer gets free frequent flyer miles, right? Okay, well, but if you just go like down, I mean, if you go down, down, down to the bowels of vocational opportunities, you come to my job, okay? And so my customer is, guess what? Who, who's like the worst? When you think of like the, the worst, guess what? Used car salesman, right? Well, but I even, in our business, we don't just serve used car salesmen, we serve used car managers. And so these are like the best of the worst. These guys are the dregs of the earth. They are the most lying, conniving, manipulative. I mean, they're really, they're a piece of work. And those are, you know, so that's that's where my business is. And so we joke that, you know, our business, I'm like the mosquito on the rear of the dog of business, you know. But uh, but we're the Lord's mosquito, right? And so we, we try and find hope in that. But really, isn't, isn't, if you really look at all of our vocations, if we're not careful, you can think, ah, does it really have any eternal value? All Leroy's patients eventually die. You can... You know, do a great computer. They do. You know, you do as best you do it. You do it. You know, you can do a computer program the next week. There's something cooler. Doesn't it? It doesn't. You know, where? What's it all about? You know, what does, does? What if my job is just dealing with the dregs of the earth? Is that is that meaningful? Are there some jobs that have more eternal significance than other jobs? Are there categories of life? that have more eternal significance before God. Well, welcome to the doctrine of vocation. And it's a critical issue for every man in this room. And I encourage you, grab that pen, grab that outline. We provided that outline for you to refer to it. This material, if you will engage it, can absolutely change your life. It can change your life. And I'm I'm just here as a, a testimony of how it's profoundly served me. I'm just so grateful. So let's dig in. Put on your seatbelts. Here comes the fire hose, guys. First of all, the issue of vocation throughout history. It, it, it's early on in church history that we begin to see confusion already about the, about the whole issue of vocation or calling. And so we see the roots early on in church history of what, what would be called today a sacred secular split where we think, you know, this is like the holy stuff and this is like the worthless stuff. And so the, the first quote here is, uh, a look at medieval history and a guy from, named Eusebius. Eusebius was a historian, early church father. This is um, his view of calling, okay? There are two ways of life given by the law of Christ to his church. One is above nature and beyond the common human living, holy, permanently separate from the common customary life of man. It devotes itself to the service of God alone. Such is the perfect form of the Christian life. Okay, so 
first century, we've already got an issue of what's, what matters, what doesn't matter. And we have this introduction of what's called the perfect versus the permitted. The perfect versus the permitted. And so in the perfect, our definition of vocation is this. It's a sacred calling, definition of vocation, a sacred calling, but it's exclusive to full-time church guys. Okay, so for that day, if we're looking at fourth century, this is your priest, you got your nuns, monks, scribes, all the full-time church guys, okay? And so th- those vocations are viewed as the perfect will of God. One little setback, might consider it, requires celibacy, okay? So you, you, you might want to think twice about that. It depends whether you want the goods now or whether you want it in heaven, but... Uh, so we've got the perfect, okay? But then we've got the permitted. And the permitted is all of the non-vocational occupations of life. They're necessary, but they're worldly, okay? And so that, that refers to all ordinary occupations and married life, okay? So you've got your farmer, your blacksmith, your maid, soldier, toolmaker. Even the king would fit into this category seen as the permitted will of God, permitted, it's stained with worldliness. It's not, it's not the best, okay? So, uh, here's a quote from Gene Veith. And we, last time we had Man to Man together, we gave out a free gift of Gene Veith's book, God at Work. Wonderful book. I hope you got it. I hope you're reading it. If you didn't, I think they're still at the book table. But here's Gene's quote. The counsels of perfection could be fulfilled only in the holy orders of the church in which a man or woman could devote every day to prayer, contemplation, worship, and the service of God, okay? Well, the 1500s hit, and everything radically changes with the Reformation. And we've got this period of history where there is a profound spiritual and societal transformation where prior to the Reformation, only the church guys or government leaders could read, Okay, And so with the invention of the Gutenberg Press, everything changes where now the Bible is printed into the language of the ordinary man. We don't realize how profound that is because prior to that, you got to understand your Bible is in Latin. It's being read to you in a language you don't even understand. The thing is chained to the pulpit. Okay, So a script to have the Word of God, very, very rare. Suddenly with the Gutenberg Press... Everybody, guys like you and me, can have the Word of God. And it it changes everything. And suddenly, the common man, now he can read, he's able to engage the Scripture, and he's able to engage what the Scripture says about the issues of life and come to his own interpretation of what those things mean, okay? And where that led was to a conviction that the Roman Church had fundamentally strayed from the truth of God's Word and the practices of the early church. Okay, now, for those of you that may come from a Catholic background, please know my intention. I'm not trying to slam the Catholic Church at all, really, just to hit on what the historical issues are of the Reformation, okay? But at the center of this whole deal, at the center of the story, is this brilliant, crude, uh, great guy by the name of Martin Luther. He's a monk. And... He begins to engage the Scripture. And he begins to engage the fundamental issues that had been the context for Christian life prior. 
And this guy, I mean, if you haven't seen the movie Luther, if you haven't read about Martin, first of all, Martin Luther would be the kind of guy, you would want to be friends with Martin Luther. The guy could tell a joke like a sailor. The guy enjoyed his beer. The guy uh, had great jokes about passing gas and expelling demons. He, you know, and he's brilliant, theologically brilliant. He, Martin Luther would have been, I mean, what a joy. One day we'll get to have a chance to meet Martin Luther. We're going to see that guy face to face. Well, he and many other reformers had a profound effect on what was going on. There were four main categories, and I don't have time to get into these, but I wrote them down for you so you can refer to them, of how the Reformation profoundly changed people's understanding. Number one, what do we do to, to be righteous with God? And so the, the, the issue there is, do, do I, is it salvation plus what I add to the equation? Or is it what Luther said, salvation by faith alone? Faith alone. Sole fide, baby. Faith alone. There's nothing that we contribute. By faith alone, by grace alone are we saved. It's the work of God, lest any man should boast. Second issue is, what's the source of authority? Do I have my authority for how I live my life based on what the Pope or the, the bishop or the, my, my, you know, my, my local, uh, Pastor says, no, no, no. The truth is found in Scripture alone. Sole Scriptura. Scripture alone. How does the, the third category is, how does the church function? Well, it's not a religious hierarchy depending on the mediation of some kind of religious guy who stands between me and God. But Jesus Christ is our mediator. Jesus paid the price for my sins. Jesus, I can go straight to Jesus because of what he did on the cross, which has profound ramifications uniquely for these people who are used to thinking that they have to go through a religious system to encounter God. They can now encounter him personally, okay? And, and there's also a return to the early church's model of the community of believers, not, not church as some kind of religious thing we go to. We go to meetings, we go to ceremonies, all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. It's a called out people joined together to live a new life in a new way. It's profoundly different. It's what we see in the book of Acts. And then the fourth category is what we're talking about today, which is what is a believer's calling? What does it mean to be called? How is the Christian life before God to be lived out? Okay, And so there was a huge emphasis by Martin Luther on a teaching that's called the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer. And the whole point of that teaching was not in any way to minimize or belittle the call of pastors, uh, legitimate roles within the church that are a huge gift from God to equip us and, and serve us, but to lift all vocations to take an understanding of every vocation. And rather than just thinking, hey, there's a couple over here that really matter. No, no, no. From God's perspective, wherever He has placed you, whatever He's given you to do, is equally holy, equally eternally significant. That there's no difference. We may serve one another in different ways, but from God's perspective, there's no difference, okay? So the thing that's amazing about this is suddenly with the printing of the scripture and the common man able to engage these issues, 
It is flipping the world on its head. And where before you had to go through a mediator, all of a sudden, the ordinary guy, because of his understanding of who he is in Christ, he can pray. I can, you mean, I can pray? I can be heard by God? I don't have to go through the priest? Yeah, you can. He can handle the holy things of God. He can own the Bible. He can read and study the scriptures. Uh, He's a spiritual equal with any other man in Christ. He's a priest before God who's able to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And he can even be a witness for the gospel. He has all of those same opportunities to live an eternally significant life. There's also a rejection of monasticism. And monasticism would be the concept that we really need to isolate ourselves from the world. Remember, you know, there's the perfect, and then there's the permitted. It's touched, it's touched, stained, it's dirty. No, we need, we need to come away. We need to, be, to isolate ourselves. We need to have this perfect cloistered culture. Martin Luther said, no way, man. And so not only did he say that was totally wrong, he blew everybody's mind. He got married. This guy's a priest. He marries a nun. You talk about crazy. You you talk about scandalous. He models what is valuable to God, what's important. No, 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 not this isolated monastic life. Celebrating all of God's good, good gifts. They're all from Him. And so there's a celebration of God's gift in marriage. Uh, There's, um, for the first time in centuries, society is seen as not evil fundamentally, but it's a means to social order and God's good to people. Culture is even encouraged to be engaged and influenced by the saints, not fled from. Okay? And to Luther and the Reformers, fundamentally, all of life is to be lived as an expression of love to God and love to our neighbor. All of life. And that means that all legitimate work, our jobs even, all of a sudden are seen as holy work and an offering to God. All legitimate work is not just a task, but it's an opportunity for worship. We offer what we're doing, and we're filled with Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brothers, to offer your bodies living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual service of worship. It isn't playing the guitar. I love playing the guitar. I love worshiping. I love it. But that's not the definition biblically of worship. It's presenting your body as an offering to God all the time. And that means that it's not just Sunday morning from like, you know, 10 till 11, 15 or whatever it is. It's Tuesday at 3 in the afternoon, whatever you're doing. That's supposed to be a context for worship, a context for the priesthood of the believer, where God's at work through us in the same way that he's at work through Craig as he's preparing the message for Sunday. We've been given a vocation. We've been given a stewardship, and it matters eternally to God. We need to, to blow away the cobwebs of any understanding that would, that would be similar to what we would see uh, back in, in the prior to the Reformation, okay? So all legitimate work is an occasion for worship. And I just put here, you guys can look this up. Look up the word avodah. It's the Old Testament word for, for both work and worship. The exact same word. Isn't that interesting? That both work and worship are defined by the exact same word, okay? Here's a quote from Gene Veith again. Every kind of work, including that which heretofore had been looked down upon, the work of peasants and craftsmen, is an occasion for priesthood, for the exercising of a holy service to God and to one's neighbor. Martin Luther, a great quote, 
the works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks, but that all works are measured by God by faith alone. Indeed, the menial housework of a maidservant is often more acceptable to God than all of the fastings and other works of a monk or a priest, because the monk or priest may lack faith in what they're doing. And then here's another quote from William Tyndale. These men, guys, you want to, we should maybe in man to man do some stories of some of these great men's lives. Here's William Tyndale, uh, it brought the first New Testament in English to, to us. Today, 65% of the King James Version is probably made up of William Tyndale's work. He was, he was strangled and burned at the stake for this quote. One day, the laborer in the field will know as much scripture as the Pope. He was burned at the stake for that. And here's his, here's his quote. If our desire is to please God, pouring water, washing dishes, cobbling shoes, and preaching the word, they're all one. Okay? So for the, the reformers had an understanding of vocation is very different than the way we understand it today. And one of the key scriptures that they would look to was the scripture in in Mark 12 and Matthew 22. It's called the Great Commandment, okay? And in the Great Commandment, Jesus talks to us about primary and secondary callings, okay? And so this is something that, that Luther and the Reformers believe to be very important for every believer to understand. So let's, let's be sure that we understand it as well, okay? This is taken, Jesus is approached by a scribe. The scribe comes up to him and says, Lord, what's the most important commandment, right? And Jesus responds, quoting Deuteronomy 6. He says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Profound section of scripture. When Jesus says there's no commandment more important than these, Time to prick up the ears, huh? What's he saying? What does that mean? Well, to Luther, there was a primary call, and that call was to the Lord Jesus. Our first calling, okay? The first and greatest command, it says in Matthew 22, of the same, the same story. The first and greatest command. Our first and greatest calling as men. The first, the best. The most important is not our job, our task, our identity, our, our title. No, it's a call not to stuff, but it's a call to the Lord Himself. Okay, to love the Lord with all of our heart. It's our heart. It's, it's our, it's our desires. It's, we're to love the Lord with all of our heart. We're to love Him with all of our, our soul. That's, that's my identity. That's who I am, my soul. How do I engage reality? What do I see? I want to love the Lord. I want Jesus at the center of my worldview, my perspective. Love Him with all of my soul. I want to love Him 
with all of my mind. I want to, I want to study to show myself approved as a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, who can handle the word of God, who knows the truth and the truth sets me free versus the guy who never really quite knows it and he's always, you know, bouncing off walls. We need to use our mind. We need to engage our mind. We need to turn off the TV. We need to open the scripture. We've got a, we've got a job to do. We've got tools that God's given us, right? To be able to engage our vocations. Okay? It's not just, and this is so important, guys. It's not just faith in Jesus, but it's a calling to a life with Jesus at the center of everything. It's a calling to life with Jesus at the center of everything. How precious, how, how incredible that God would pursue guys like us and that would invite us, that he'd take the initiative, as Craig said, Calling isn't something we do. We don't work up our own call. It's all a gift. It's all God's initiative. How amazing that fundamentally God calls us into a relationship with Him, that He pursues us, that He wants that, that He's pulled back the curtain so we can behold Him and engage Him. I mean, it's awesome. That is awesome. And it's the first and the greatest commandment. But then there's a second side to it, right? There's a second side. And we could go through these verses. Jesus is the head of the body, his church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. This is Colossians 1.18. So that in everything he might be preeminent. In everything. Is there anything he's not preeminent in in our lives? Is there any area that Jesus is, you know, the pause button's down on Jesus? Or is he front and center in everything? Okay? Uh, we know John 17. You can re- I'm going to zip through here, guys. I'll never... I'm going to give you a fire hose already, um, but I'm still going to have to skip some stuff. But you've got the outline. You can refer to it. But I can't pass this quote from Oswald Chambers. This is just too good. Beware of anything that competes with loyalty to Jesus Christ. The greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. Isn't that interesting? Activity. We think somehow that's godly. The one aim of the call of God. Okay, what, is, what is the one aim of God's call to me? It's the satisfaction of God. What does that say? It's the glory of God. It's the, the joy of God in my relationship with Him. That He's happy. That, he's, that our relationship is what He wants it to be. That's the center purpose of my calling. The satisfaction of God. Not a call to do something for Him. We're not called to do something or go somewhere. We're called to someone. We're not called first to a special work. We're called to God. And the key to answering the call is to be devoted to no one, nothing above God himself. And I love this. Be absolutely his. Isn't that wonderful? Now, wouldn't it be great to be able to write like that? Ain't going to happen, but... We've got, we've got Oswald. We can read Oswald. I don't have to do it. So there's our first and primary calling. But second, and in, in Matthew 22, it says, the second is like it. And the second command is like it. What that literally means is the second commandment is a natural outflow of the first. It's not two different things. No, there's one and the life of the one leads. You've got the root and then you've got the fruit, don't you, okay? And the second is this, that we love our neighbors as ourselves. That's that wow. Well, so guess what? We got questions. 
who the heck's my neighbor? I got to know who that guy is or that girl. And I'm supposed to love, I'm supposed to agape, self-sacrificially serve like I want to be served. I know how I like to be served. That is crystal clear. I know what makes Bobby happy, okay? I don't know what makes Sharon happy. And so I need to love my neighbor like I want to be loved. Wow. Isn't that... Nothing like Jesus to give you like a a four-word sentence that will like rock your world for the rest of your life. To love your neighbor as yourself. Rob did a great job on this uh, last week referring to Matthew 25. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, well, wh- when did we see you hungry and feed you? When were you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needed clothes and clothe you? Clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whenever, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Wow, so there's a direct correlation. If I want to love the Lord, there's a direct ramification there in my relationship with my neighbor because actually as I serve my neighbor, from God's perspective, I'm serving him. Wow. Helpful to know the Lord's perspective, isn't it? Just to help interpret reality. So let's let's unpack this stuff a little bit. There's a lot of unpacking, guys. Please keep your seatbelts on. This is we're just hitting a little wedge of the pie. This is a pie we could un- we could teach this for weeks, 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 weeks. So I'm going to try and hit the essence. Um, but put your seatbelt on. Keep your mind engaged with me, would you? Okay. So here's what we got. Oh, watch this. Do you want to see something cool? Oh, now here's the deal. What do I have to do to get one of these for my office? Where I can walk into my office and just say, this place is a pig pen. Boom. Would that be nice? My sin, the same way. My heart stinks. Okay, here we go, guys. So, we are now going to unpack this issue of primary and secondary callings. This is going to get very specific. And that's the thing that's so wonderful. The whole issue of calling can be so mystical. It's not at all very, very, very clear. Everyone has one. Everybody has a calling. And it's right, right in front of your nose, okay? So we have, so here's what we're doing. We're engaging our vocation, right? I could put Bob's vocation, put your name in there, okay? Okay? Boom. I hope everybody can see that. I know I'd make a better door than a window, right? Okay, and so we've got our primary calling, which is what? Tell me what it is. It's loving God. It's loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's my secondary calling? It's loving my neighbor. Okay. How the heck do I do that? Well, for Luther, here's what Luther said. Luther said that we engage our callings, try and stand where you guys can look at that stuff, we engage our callings in different ways. We engage our calling in one way by faith, and we also engage our callings by works. So it's it's important to understand the difference between the two. 
Luther's quote is this, Faith serves God, but only works serve my neighbor. Well, what, it, what the heck does that mean, okay? Well, it, it means this, that there is nothing that I can do to add to the work of what Jesus did on the cross for me. There's nothing I can do. I contribute nothing. Nothing. My, my confidence is in resting in the work of another. My work is to trust in the work of another. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe, okay? So I, but what I do is I believe that. I believe that Jesus died in my place. I believe that I've been made right with God because of what Jesus did. And so the only way that I can please God, the only way I can glorify God, the only way that I, that I engage my relationship, my calling, my vocation as a believer with God is one way. It's by faith. It's not by works, right? Not by works of righteousness that we've done. No, no, it's a free gift of God. So I engage God by faith. But do I engage my neighbor the same way? Can I just wish the best for my neighbor? Can I just be in faith that God's going to bless them and provide whatever the need is? Luther said, well, Luther would have said, no. You know, he might have said, you know, he might have used some colorful language in there. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe my image of him is more like myself. <laughs> maybe he's way more holy, but I don't think so. I've read his quotes. The guy is a gas. But, um, Anyway, uh, so, but Luther would say, no, no, no. You only engage your neighbor. You only love your neighbor through works. You only, it, there has to be action to it. If there's no action, you're not loving your neighbor. If there's no activity, if you're not intentional about seeing a need and meeting it, then you are not serving your neighbor, your neighbor, excuse me. James puts it well. James says that faith without works is dead, right? That's one of those controversial scriptures throughout the history of the church. But what that literally means is that our calling by God, our calling as, as those walking with Him, our calling by God by faith empowers and infuses us with the ability in our calling to our neighbor, which is by works. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay, stay with me, okay. Well, let's keep it going. Here we go. Another level. We're going to kick it into another tier. Here's another definition of vocation. It's God at work through means. Say the word means with me. Means. Another one of these words you think, what the heck? I mean, we're, we're, we're like blowing out the cobwebs in our mind. What? And so in, if we're going to understand vocation right, we're going to have to understand what means means. Okay? And so here's a definition. Means. Something intervening, something that comes between, an instrument which is used to affect an object, the medium through which something is done. It's a means, okay? And God works through means. Luther's definition of vocation is this, the mask of God. So to Luther, all of the different vocations of life were all being done by God. But he hid himself. He hides. I mean, it's one of the, one of the wonders of, of God's character. I mean, you, I, I'm an old guy, but maybe one or two people in the room would remember an old Disney movie 
called Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Anybody ever see that that old Disney movie? It's about leprechauns. And so you you know you'd walk into the room and uh, and this doesn't seem like anybody's in the room. But if you could see if the camera were at the back of the room, you'd see all the leprechauns. They're hiding behind that chair. They're under the table. Or one jumped into the trash. Another, they all jump behind the curtain. And they're everywhere. There's hundreds of them. The minute you turn around, they're running around. The ones here are hiding. And you come back around, they're all gone again. And it's like the boogeyman a little bit too when you're a kid. You know, the boogeyman, you never see the boogeyman, but the boogeyman is there. Right? Okay, well, so in, in the same way, I've got uh, my, my grandson, Josh. Every time I go raise Scott and his family, my, my third son, Scott, and his family, Josh is the guy, he's the hider boy, you know. So you come in the door, you greet everybody, where is Josh? Well, he's hiding someplace, so I've got to go find Josh. And so typically, I mean, he's this little guy, and the, the kid can fold himself into quarters, you know, and, and find a spot. He's up in the cabinet above the refrigerator. I mean, that's where he's going to be hiding from me. But, uh, but so to understand, there's something amazing. There's something beautiful. There's something mysterious about God's nature, that there's something about him where he chooses to hide himself. In, there, there's some... Guys, it's holy. It, it's holy humility. It's, it's a way of thinking that we just don't understand. But there's something about God's beauties where he, he puts somebody else forward. He's there. He's influencing everything. But he's hidden. He hides himself. He, he's, not, he's not like us, like... It's me, you know. He's not that way. He he's he's hidden. It's it's a beautiful thing. Well, so what are some examples of this whole issue of means? Well, first of all, here's an example. God gives life. Well, how's God give life? Well, in the beginning, God uh, got some mud, piled up the mud. He breathed in the mud, and we got Adam, right? That's how, that's how uh, Adam was formed. Anybody here who was formed out of mud? Nobody? Not even one? Okay, Brian? I believe that. No. Well, but, but, so how did it happen? It happened through means. It happened through my mom and dad. So, I mean, you talk about the obviousness of, of God. A man and woman fall in love. They embrace Something happens physically. A life grows in the woman's womb. The baby's born and it's got Bobby, you know, it's got mom and dad's nose and ears and hair color. And well, would you say, yeah, my mom and dad created me? No, of course not. That would be stupid. I mean, my dad was a great guy, but he can't create life, right? God created me, but he used the means of parents. Okay, so understanding means is really important. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, God gives provision, right? Scripture says, my God will provide all my needs. Okay, so you have the children of Israel, and uh, God provides manna as they're going through through the wilderness, right? And boom, that's the provision. Well, has anybody here ever eaten manna? Does God still do it the same way? No, he, He uses means, right? And so we have... We have... The, the amazing wonder that every one of us are fed by God 
through the means of all kinds of vocations in life, right? We've got the the farmer, the rancher, the fisherman, the dairyman, all of that stuff that God uses. And would, now would, would we say, yeah, did, did the farmer create the vegetables? Did the fisherman create the fish? Did the cattleman create the cows? No. God created everything for us to enjoy. But, but there's something about his beauty where he gives us the privilege of being involved in those things as a means to serve and bless the world that he loves. It's an amazing thing. God does it all, but he does it through those different vocations, right? God gives healing. Scripture says, I'm the Lord that heals you. I mean, probably a bunch of us have received divine healing. I have. I, I, you know, I won't tell you the story now for time's sake, but God heals. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, that's the fact. But it doesn't necessarily always happen that way, right? It, he, he uses many different vocations. So you've got the, med, the vocation of, of medicine. You've got the vocation of, of you know, pharmaceuticals. You've got the, you know, the vocation of the prayer of faith. You've got all these different kinds of things. And it doesn't mean that, that God still doesn't heal. No, God heals. The fact that you ever got better, you've got to understand second law of thermodynamics, right? The fact that you ever got better, that you don't just continue to atrophy and unravel, that's supernatural. That's, if you ever get better, that's God. That's, that's totally divine. But he uses all kinds of means, doesn't he? God gives direction. Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. God spoke to Moses face to face. Now, maybe not face to face. You saw his, his backside, right? But how many of us have had a face to face encounter with God? Anybody here ever have a face to face? But has God ever spoken to us? Has God ever directed us? Sure, he, he does it all the time, right? He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through our prayer life. He speaks to us through the vocation of parents. He speaks to us through the vocation of friends and uh, our boss, our co-workers. He speaks to us through the policeman who says, stop. He protects us through through vocations everywhere, all the time. God is constantly speaking. And if we think, if we have a theology that says that we have to get a one-on-one in order to encounter God, it's going to be, God's going to seem like he's a long ways away. But if our theology is accurate, where we understand that God is constantly at work through means, all of a sudden, he is very real. He is caring for me constantly. He's speaking to me constantly. He is here. He's active. He is, he is pursuing me in a profound way. So we need to understand that God works through means. Here's Gene Veith again. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, observed Luther, we ask God to give us our daily bread. He does give us our daily bread. He does it by the farmer who planted and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour into bread, the person who prepared our meal. We might add today the truck driver who hauled the produce, factory workers, etc. All play their parts, excuse me, all playing their part are also the bankers, futures, investors, advertisers, lawyers, agricultural scientists. All of these are instrumental in enabling us to eat our morning bagel, right? And so when we give thanks for the Lord feeding us, He did feed us. But He, He, He shared the, the joy of His blessing in serving us with many, many, many people. And so we want to be aware of that, okay? Next category. Now we're going to keep shaking it down. We're shaking, we're getting a bit general overview of vocation. We're shaking this baby down, okay? Because it's going to get really, really specific. 
To understand vocation, you need to understand that there are vocations to us and there are vocations through us. Means of God's grace. You hear that expression, means of grace? That is like, eh, that's, you know, that sovereign grace talk or whatever that is. That's Reformation talk, but it's, it's a, it's a meaningful expression. When you understand it, it means a lot. Means of grace to us where we're a means of grace to others as well, okay? Our vocations are much more than God's way of extending care to His people. They're designed by God to reflect His nature and the beauty of the gospel. When we understand vocation properly, it's profoundly important. It's profoundly significant. And there's key biblical categories. And so we're going to get specific here, okay? And the reason that these categories are important is, first of all, they matter because these are all God-ordained categories of life that we all engage in. Secondly, each of these categories is scripturally defined, where there are clear roles and responsibilities that each of us are, are shown how to engage in in life. The Lord instructs us. But even more amazing, these key categories matter because they're pictures of the gospel. They're types of Jesus and his church. They display the sacrificial leadership of Jesus. They display the submitted followership of the church. They're a picture of the gospel. And so if they're done God's way, they're profoundly beautiful. And the tragedy is when they're not done God's way, when we see leaders either in the family or in business or in government that sin, the old expression of the Puritans was that you could sin against your vocation. We see a lot of sinning against our vocation. When we think that our vocation is about us and not a stewardship from God, we use our vocation than rather than serve it with the grace and power of God. When it's served, it's a beautiful thing. When it's used, it's ugly. And so we go through these categories, and so we've got family. I think we'd all say, yeah, okay, that's a biblical category, absolutely. Key vocational area, church, got it. I believe that. I'm a part of a church. We're really teaching that stuff. Now, I, I want to know in your heart, how's your response to this? Do you view your work the exact same way as your calling to your family. Now, it doesn't, I'm, I'm not saying get extreme on anything. It would be nice if we could just be the guy who's, you know, the great dad and the great church guy. Man, he's there early, he's there late, model family. Nobody respects him at work. Um, he's not promoted, he doesn't really do good, he doesn't really even, know, you know, not... No, no, no. That's extreme. That's a caricature. The other caricature is you got the guy with the briefcases on the road. He's going and blowing. He's making it happen. He's making the big bucks. He's moving up the corporate world. But his vocational stewardships to his family and his church life suck. And, and so it's a caricature. It's sad. It's, it's a tragedy. By God's grace, we're called to do them all. We're called to walk in them all. We don't get to just kind of pick and choose. But when you, when you think of your work, you think, do we think like, like uh, they thought before the Reformation? Touched by sin. Okay, permitted, but not perfect. Or do we see it like Luther said, as equal, as eternally significant as any other calling. And the fact that God puts you where you are 
is a profound commendation of the fact that He is at work in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure right where you are. I read, uh, maybe it's been a couple of weeks ago, reading morning, I'll read uh, morning and evening, most mornings, if you don't read Spurgeon, you're missing out. It's just fantastic. But here's what the quote was uh, here a couple of weeks ago. It was from the scripture that says, um, Ephraim is a, what is it? Yeah, Ephraim is a cake half-baked. Ephraim is a cake half-baked. I thought, wow, what's, what is Spurgeon going to get out of that one? Here's what he said. He said that people who do not engage all of the vocations of life in a balanced way become like a cake that has its face to the fire of one thing too much. And so what you have is you have, we may be face to the fire of church and family, but what happens is if you're only face that direction, you start to become burned, and it's not tasty anymore. In the backside of that cake, it's uncooked, it's mushy, it's a mess. We're called, we're not supposed to be a half-baked cake. We're supposed to be fully baked which means every biblical vocation, whether it's church, whether it's family, whether it's work, whether it's, uh-oh, here we go, now get some indigestion, government. The scripture speaks very clearly about government and our vocation to both follow in government and our stewardships in government. I don't, I'm not pushing a political thing at all, but biblical understanding on that. And you think, well, what, can anything good happen there? Well, here's a fantastic verse for you. Second Samuel 23 says this, when one, this is the first verse in the section of government, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Isn't that beautiful? When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. Government can be a beautiful thing. King David you know, had a couple of issues, but uh, loved his people, cared for his people. The picture of the gospel can be seen in government, should be seen in government, as well as in our business life, where you have leaders who lay down their life for their employees and serve their employees, and employees that honor and support their, their leaders. is a picture of the gospel. It can be beautiful. It can be profound. It can be about so much more than making widgets and making money. It's an opportunity to display the gospel. It's powerful stuff. Okay? So let's, let's keep engaging our vocations. We're shaking it down. We're coming down the funnel here, guys, okay? So we've got our key vocations, and we've got our primary vocation, loving God, and our secondary vocation. And then we've got our understanding that loving God only happens in one way, right? By faith. And loving our neighbor only happens one way, which is by works, Right? And now we want to shake it all down to vocations that are to us and vocations that are through us. Let's talk about it, okay? We've got this category. We've got the category of family. What are the... And you can write this down for yourself. These are all very individual. But I guarantee you that there's a practical application for everybody in this room. Who are the people that God has called to be a unique extension of his love and care to you? Who are they? What's their name? Write it down. Think about it. In your family context, if you're a young man, 
and you have the blessing of a dad, I guarantee it's your dad, it's your mom. You don't have to wonder what relationships God's called you to. Even as grown men, my dad didn't even become a believer until two weeks before he died. It's a wonderful story. But God used him profoundly as an unbeliever, giving me counsel on how to form me, how to prepare me for life, how to focus on the things that God had given me abilities in, and and modeled for me so many wonderful biblical truths. Um, if I went, I'm, there's just nobody even close to the influence that my dad had on my life. Now, some guys don't have dads, and so in that situation, we can pray, and, and the Lord is kind. He brings other male relationships. You may have an uncle, you may have a grandpa, you may have a, a friend, you may have somebody older that can serve you in that way. But we need to know who in the category of my family world, who's the vocation to me? Then who's the vocation through me? Okay, so we've got family. So we've got dad. I mean, I'm, I'm just putting these in as examples. Okay, vocations through us. Married guys, guess what? It doesn't, it doesn't take rocket science. It's our wives. It's our kids, right? I mean, those are, those, those are divine callings of God's. We don't need to preach that to, to this group. Everybody gets that stuff. But, but it's important to understand, not just that these are responsibilities that we have, but a proper understanding of vocation teaches us not what we do, but the fact that God is at work as we love and serve those people. God's at work transforming their lives. God's at work caring for them as we think and prepare and prayerfully invest ourselves. Our, our, our wife and kids can be experiencing God, not just Bob, right? They can, they can be encountering God as we serve because God's at work in us, both to will and do his good pleasure, okay? So we've got wife and kids. Uh, play it out with, with work. Or with, so let's go to church next. Church, who are the vocations to me? Obviously, it's my pastor, my community group leader. Is there a, an older brother in the Lord? Are there friends that the Lord has given? Who are the lifelines to me? Do I have people with skin on, with a name, that are my go-to people, that I, I go to for counsel, believing that God is going to speak and guide and direct me? If you don't have them, you should pray for them. Pray for them, because God wants to... It, there's nothing wrong with our individual devotion to the Lord himself. It's precious. But there's more. God's speaking all the time. He, there, there are infinite resources that he wants to be extending his care to us through. And we want to be aware of them so that we benefit from them, okay? So we've got, you know, church, you've got your pastor. And then, then the next category is, what, what's the vocation through me? Well, it may be specific people. It may be tasks. There's both responsibilities and relationships in each of these, right? If we back it up, if we go to family and we're talking about young men, um, you're, you're, the through vocational responsibilities may mean you make your bed, okay? I mean, that's, that's profound. But there's something about cleaning. What have I been entrusted with? If God's at work in me, both the will and do is good pleasure, where is my calling? Where am I called today? Well, guess what, young men? You're called to honor your mom and dad. You're called to serve your siblings. You're called to mow the lawn. Do it when you're asked the first time. And you're called to mow it like as unto the Lord. If I... Oh, I mean, the memories of my dad 
coming home from work day after day after day. Bob, did you mow the lawn today? Dad, I didn't quite get to it. Um, you know, I'm watching TV. I don't know. I'm doing nothing. And uh, just how tragic. And then even even as I became a believer, to now start cornering everybody with the gospel, where if I just would have shut up and made my bed, I mean, they would have all been, they would have been calling a family meeting to come and find out what, what had happened, you know. But just shut up and do what I'm supposed to do. Make your bed. Clean up your filthy underwear. Put it in the laundry room, okay? Whatever you got to do. But what are those specific things? And you want to do the exercise of thinking it through. What are the vocations to me? What are the vocations through me? Church, pastor, what are my duties? Where am I serving in the church? What are key relationships that I have an opportunity to invest in? Pray about them and think think them through. Work, let's get radical. Here we go, guys. You mean God is speaking to me through my boss? Yeah. Yeah, hopefully he, if you're listening, I'm, God will speak through a mule. So uh, that gives me hope in leading my employees, you know. But yeah, do I see my employer, do I see my manager, my boss, as a means of grace to me, as an extension of God's formation? That when he's not happy about something, it's God speaking to me. To step it up, man. Be a man. Start doing that right. We want to do our work wholeheartedly as unto the Lord, not just as a man pleaser. We don't just do it for the boss. We do it as unto the Lord, but the boss should sure notice. It's tragic when people lose jobs and it's the Christians that lose the jobs. The Christians should be the last guys to get fired, okay? We want to excel. We want to do what we're doing wholeheartedly unto the Lord. So are you aware of your boss as a unique vocational lifeline to you? And then who are your responsibilities at work? What are your responsibilities at work? What are the tasks that you're called to do, that you're called to do with excellence? Who are the people that you're called to serve? Love them. Understand their needs. Look for specific, intentional ways that you can care for them. For time's sake, we'll keep rolling here. But we could go into the whole government thing. and all the, These are the big four. These are the big four biblically that we want to engage because the scripture addresses every one of them, okay? So how do we make the most of God's vocations to us, the relationship to us? How do we make the most of that? Well, the first thing I'd say is recognize it. Recognize those special relationships. Have faith that God's at work through those people. Second, communicate your gratitude to those people. Say something. Say that you're aware of that relationship. Invite that person's involvement in your life. Say you're thankful. And come on, man, bring it. If you see anything, I don't want to be stupid. I can only, I can only see so much in my life. There's a, whole, there's a whole big part of me I don't see. I need other people's eyes in my life. You need to invite it, right? Uh, we need to pursue others for wisdom and major decisions. Pursue people. Don't just figure it out. Don't, don't be a stupid American, independent, you know, just doing our own thing. No, we, 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 need, we need God's help. We need him to speak through others. Pray for humility to be able to listen. And the same thing applies to how we make the most of God's vocations through us. Recognize God-given responsibilities and relationships. Communicate your desire to invest in those relationships intentionally pursue opportunities to serve and meet needs. Pray, I mean, I can move pray, prayer at the top of the list. Nothing happens of any eternal value without God's involvement. Here's a, a last quote. Osginus, 
calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons and service. God's calling in our lives, guys, is right here, right now. Right here, right now. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 17.24. Here's what it says. The, I, this is New American Standard Version. I'm not sure what it says in the, NI, or the NES. Okay? The eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. But wisdom is in the presence of a man with understanding. The eyes of a fool. We're all fools, aren't we? If, 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 one of the greatest challenges of life is to be where you are. It's a big challenge. You're at work, you're thinking, I want to be home with the family. You're with the family, you're thinking the stuff you didn't do at work, right? Isn't that, isn't that the curse? So learning how to be where we are is huge. But the Proverbs says, the eyes of a fool are elsewhere. The, da- the danger for old guys like me, my, my danger, rather than looking at today, is to look back and to look at the past and to think, I mean, welcome to midlife crisis. All the stuff I wish I could have done different. All of the regrets I've got. All of the wasted years. The foolish investments of my life. What I, what I would do different. A million things. Right? How many can relate with that one? The foolishness of a young man is, is the opposite. His eyes are all in the future. And it's all about discontent now for what I'm hoping is going to happen. But wisdom is neither one of those things. Wisdom is right here, right now. And the ability to look at the world that God has given me, the relationships that God's given me, and the vocational stewardships that he's entrusted to me, and to engage them by faith. That's where joy is going to come. That's where fruitfulness is going to come. That's where we're going to see God at work in profound ways, okay? God is all about right now. So the question is this, what are the duties and relationships that God has entrusted to you right now, today? What are they? Wisdom's in the presence of a man with understanding. We haven't missed God's calling. We don't have to wait for God's calling. God is at work right here, right now, for his great glory and our good. May the Holy Spirit help us to see and engage God at work to us and through us today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be together as men. Lord, I just just pray that prayer again. Lord, would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of our understanding would be opened, that we would know the hope of your calling. Thank you that you're at work in us. Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent job, Bob. Outstanding. Here's what we're going to do, guys. Um, We're going to do a 20-minute panel. We announced this will be over at 1030. That's eight minutes from now. So if you need to leave at 1030 because you have a commitment... um, 
I'm inclined not to skip the panel. So if you have a 20, if you have a commitment, if you walk out of here in eight minutes, that's fine. That's not rude. You're, you're going with what we said with the expectation. That's totally fine. If you can stay till 1040, which will be about 10 minutes over, um, then, uh, that's great as well. So we'll go 20 minutes here with a panel and then, uh, leave when you need to. How about that? So guys, if you want to join, if you're on the panel, come on up here. That was a great job, Bob. Very, very helpful. Um, gave us a lot to think about and really to broaden our understanding of um, what it means to, to walk with the Lord and what it means to live for Him in, in all of life. Excellent, excellent. Um, several guys here with me that we've invited to come up and answer a few questions. Uh, this is F.J. O'Leary and Tim Payne and John Skaggs. And you guys know Bob, uh, who just spoke. So glad to have you guys. Here's what I want to ask you to start with. Let's spend a minute talking about what, uh, what Bob closed with, which is this idea of in the various contexts of life and the various relationships that we have, that God uh, works to us and through us in the various relationships that we have in life. I want to ask you this question. Where, where are you tempted to overlook God at work in certain relationships? Where would you be tempted to miss God at work in the relationships in your life? And, um, and, and how, do you, how, how have you dealt with that and learned um, to see God at work in those various relationships? Go for it, FJ. I'll call on you. Well, the uh, thought I had as Bob's talking was, uh, in particular with family, it was probably about 10, 12 years ago, uh, when the Lord really captured my attention, teach your children, because family was probably the one that I ignored the most, and start a consistent Bible study with your children. And when, when we engaged as a family to do that, we set very small goals. Uh, for us, it worked to do it once a week, and we would generally do that Saturday mornings. We still do that to this day, except for this morning. They're all probably sleeping in since I'm here. Uh, the, uh, the goal was to teach them biblical doctrine. And uh, my youngest was probably five when we started. My oldest, I've got three daughters. Uh, so they were five, nine, and roughly 13 when we started that process. Uh, one of the fruits of that is in the last few years, we've gone through a number of challenges and trials as a family. And I found that those years of teaching them truth was the basis of appeal to get daughters to repent from sin, for one, to, to get another daughter to think biblically so it would save her life, literally. And uh, I would just encourage you, don't overlook your own kids. It's probably the, the most important thing that we can do as fathers is teach them truth. Excellent. Who else? I think um, the one that comes to mind the most for me is um, at work specifically the vocation to um, the th- through God using me to serve other people at work. I, th- I feel very confident um, in my sense of God, an awareness that I'm called to do well. I'm, I'm called to work hard. I'm called to you know be fruitful in what I do. But you know the people that work for me being used by God to influence their lives, being used by God to um, not just help them be successful in their careers, but help them to think um, think wisely about the way that they live. You know, I've got younger people that work for me, and um, just seeing the way that they their, their life is built around you know the weekend, built around fun, built around something other than building something that's got meaning, building something that's got value. So um, I think that's the thing that 
you know, sticks out to me as far as um, just the category of, you know, those lives are, are um, opportunities for me to serve um, the Lord and, and to be used by the Lord. And those are, those are, you know, precious moments when you got the opportunity to, you know, you hear about some issue that somebody's facing to really be able to be used. And the Lord put me in that job and that vocation for that particular reason. Um, so I feel like that's one that uh, I'm, I'm very quick to miss, and I want, I want to pause and be more useful that way. Good, good. I'd say for me, um, the temptation is in adversity or in areas that God is bringing into my life that I don't want. That's where I have a tendency to overlook. And I have the benefit of having a wife who will ask a simple question, what is God saying in this situation? And, in fact, I don't actually like that question for just a few seconds when it first comes up. But after, after I just let my emotions calm down and, you know, I just start asking the question, Lord, what do you have in this? And he is always faithful to answer. Hmm. Excellent. Bob, you want to jump in here on that one? Uh, just quickly, uh, I would have been the uh, hyper-ministry guy. And uh, so I would have been a mile wide, an inch thick, uh, taking on way more responsibilities than God really had for me. And, and here, 18 years ago, my my wife got very, very sick uh, to the point where she's primarily bed bound. At the time, of course, I would have thought being a, a guy, an action guy would have been thinking like, "This is the worst thing that ever happened. This, this is the devil." Um, but it wasn't the devil, it was the Lord. And, and what happened in that was the Lord rescued me from thinking that everything was my responsibility and my opportunity, and that there were really just a f- very few things that mattered that I was going to be accountable for. And, and in his kindness, he rescued me where I couldn't do anything but the few things that he had called me to do. And uh, so I'm really grateful for that. Good. This is very helpful, guys. Let me ask you guys this question. Where have you, God, uh, Bob talked about uh, God at work helping us grow through others. So there's these relationships in our lives where God could be directing, speaking, helping us through others. And he went through the various categories where that is true. Could be family, could be work, could be church, could be government. Um, Where have you found God at work through people? helping you grow. Can you give any examples of how you've experienced that that would sort of flesh out the point Bob was making there at the end? I'm going to throw one out that's very, I think, unusual and um, probably not anybody else. I know none of these other guys have experienced this. Um, and I, it would just be government, um, which is odd for me to say right now in my, in where I, my opinion of how the government is. But um, as a kid living in Virginia, my parents were able to homeschool me um, as a result of the Lord using the government to not be, um, you know, strict sure, on sure. on and restrictive of that and requiring um, unusual uh, things, and so the, just looking back, the ability to say, you know, the the, the schooling that I received, the um, the mentorship that I was able to be uh, involved in because of my my parents being able to be the ones, you know, teaching me history, not not learning history from someone else's perspective, but learning history from a biblical perspective. You know, all of those types of things. Um, I, you know, I think I just think back to think that's the Lord. That's the Lord using somebody somewhere that 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 didn't add a law that said you have to. Everybody has to go to public school. Everybody has to go, go to private school. Your parents have to go through ten years of yeah. specific training to be able to homeschool. That was an example of I think the Lord using. Um, 
somebody uh, to to open a door for me. So that's a great point. That would apply in all of our lives in a lot of areas. When we think about the freedoms that we enjoy uh, through the government of this country, um, it's provided many opportunities. That's a good one. What else? Most of you will never meet Gary Whalen. Um, Gary is not a guy that when I first met him, I thought, oh, I want to be this guy's friend. Um, Gary's an accountant. He's laid back. He doesn't share his opinion readily. But when you get to know him, he is passionate. He's engaging. He's a deep thinker. And Gary spoke into my life. We were in care group together. Uh, It was one of those, you know, locality things. But uh, to this day... Gary is a dear friend because he he cared to be honest and engaging and talked about lots of areas that guys don't talk about. He was willing to be vulnerable and open up. And it wasn't just the sharing of what doesn't work, but he went to biblically what should be the case. And he and I both together recognized that biblical standard. Um, and I'd say he's unusual in that he's on both sides. It's the to us thing. And then Gary related stories to me whereby over time it was through me and through us. So I was able to serve Gary. It certainly is an iron sharpening iron story. Oh, great. That's good, John. Right, Jay, what would you say? Just a thought on discipleship of the different men that had a real impact uh, in my life as a young man, um, 22, 23 years old, and uh, encourage particularly young men to seek older men to disciple them. Um, my parents were religious people, but they were not Christians. Uh, my father never taught me how to be a good husband. He never taught me how to be a good father. And I learned that by older men who sought me out. And uh, so I guess it's, it's a two-way thing. Young men be teachable and look for that. And older men look for opportunities where the Lord might want to use you to train someone else. Very good. Bob, you want to jump on that one? Just, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, I'm getting ready to speak on this stuff, so I'm pondering it a lot. But Sharon and I were talking the other night about really four different men over over my life that had profound influence. And, and inter- it was the thing that was interesting as we were talking about it was how each of them focused on a different category and how you look at what God's called you to do and the things that are so precious to you today as an old guy and looking back and seeing the unique investment each of those men made that have been critical to laying foundations. Really cool. Mm-hmm. Can I throw another thing yeah, in there? Um, I, the other one that comes to mind for me is um, siblings um, and I, I think there's a lot of guys in the room that are either obviously either oldest brothers or youngest brothers or somewhere in the middle um, and I just think my, my brothers just the impact that they've each had both my younger brother and my older brother in my life um, kind of like Bob was saying different reasons for different at different points in my life different um, different ways that they've impacted me but just the calling to be a sibling and, and the impact that you can have on your on your siblings, um, I think, don't take that lightly. Even if you're grown, even if your siblings are in another state, there's there's definitely um, there's just a unique calling there, and I, I think it's important to recognize as the youngest, as the oldest, as the middle, wherever you're wherever you fall in the family, that you've you've been called to those specific people for a specific reason. Um, so that's another one. Yeah, that's good. Very good. So you guys each shared something about how God has ministered 
through someone else to you. Now let's let's flip that and say, FJ, you kind of already answered this with your first answer. And so I don't know if you have another one, but we'll let the other guys jump in here as well. How are you investing in key relationships in your life? You kind of touched on that a little bit too, Tim, and in in saying that you could feel like you could miss that with some of the guys who work for you, gals and guys who work for you. But how are you investing in key relationships in your life through you? So how do you think about that? And how do you think about how God wants to touch others and use you um, in, in, uh, in revealing himself and, and caring for others? How, how would you guys comment on that? If you have something else, FJ, if not, or John, I'll start with you this time. Do you have anything on that? I tell you, my, um, my care group leader is in many ways my hero. And if he was here, I didn't see him, but he might not be here. He's a... Tell us who he is, though. Uh, John Edwards. Um, he's, uh, he's a man's man, people. Would he have beaten Todd in the competition this morning? You know, I think he would have, Todd. Yeah. I'm sorry. But um, I just I get to watch his life. You know, I get to see his life in, in ways and interact with him. And uh, it's one of those things that you just don't get unless you're formed in a way that you're put together and God shows up. So I would say that um, I, I get to interact with him and he gets to interact with me. And again, it's a, it's a two-way street. Three street yeah. But in general, guys in my care group or guys in my community group fall in that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are guys you're looking to through you for God to work through you in them. What else? You guys, do you have anything else you guys want to jump on? Well, just, just three words. Calling uh, a practical thing. When I start my day these days, I started out with being mindful. God has called me to this. Exercise faith today. So faith's the second word. And the third is stir up the gifts. You know, when God pours out his spirit on us, he gives us gifts, right? So maybe you've had a word of knowledge, word of wisdom here in church, here in care group and all that. Well, do it at work. Uh, as a salesman, I can tell you when God gives you a word of knowledge about one of your customers, it's pretty cool and it's pretty easy to close the deal. Not, not that we're looking to get something from them, but to minister to them and have a, a relationship with them because God supernaturally intervenes. That's pretty cool. And I would encourage you to stir up the gifts that the Lord's given you. I mean, I think the, uh, the area that I feel the most, um, prodding in like i said was is at work but i feel like in every area i generally tend to be better at recognizing god's gifts to me and not as not as gifted in in recognizing opportunities where he can be used through me so i think you know across the board i'm I'm aware of how easy it is for me to you know be aware of things that i want annie to you know grow in but not necessarily thinking about how i can how i can be patient and come alongside her and as a two-year-old you know really really teach her and and you know admonish her in a, in a way that would honor the lord you know same with my wife you know I, I can i can think about how it's great to be able to have a date night or you know we do lots of fun things together and but but am i am i you know am i investing in every little thing every little day so that she's being you know uh, being built up um into what the Lord's called her to. So just, I think that's, for me, where I feel like, you know, the, the, the through is, is where I would be, um, mm-hmm. you know, just aware of my need to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, Tim, on that point, I think that's the gift we can give each other. Um, when, when we see a means of grace in somebody's life, when we see them do it, because I'm the same way, I don't recognize where it's going through me, I just recognize where it's coming to me. And I think we can turn to each other and point those elements out. That's good. Because we're, you know, 
Bob doesn't see his backside, I don't see my backside, and God can help show us through others to say, you know, I don't know if you recognize it, but how you're serving that person or how you're investing in that person, um, that can be very powerful and helpful for us to recognize the hand of God. How do you do that at work? I mean, it's easy to do. You talked about your small groups. It's easy to do when most of the people, the majority are Christians and kind of have a similar concept. Um, how do you do that with folks uh, through you at work that might not, uh, that you engage with there, or maybe even some other environments, your neighborhood, your neighbors, some kind of organization you're involved in? Um, how does that work there? If we're to be a blessing to others, how do you apply that with those who may not know the Lord? I make my bed and I pick up my stinking underwear. <laughs> what I, and all the unbelievers of the world rejoice. So, <laughs> what what I mean by that is just how I behave. You know, in a conflict, uh, how I react matters, and it matters greatly. Um, when adversity comes, not to view the person as the enemy. Uh, when a sale doesn't happen that should, uh, not to uh, villainize the competition. Um, it's just a balanced view of life. That's one of the big keys. And I, I find it to be the huge contrast between me claiming Jesus and other people not. Um, and I think it's, it's the world is watching and my coworkers are watching. So it, I always have a sense of um, I want to make it to where I'm honoring God and I, I know they're looking. Excellent. You know, just just one quick thought. I, I think that because we're a church that's got the the family and church issues pretty strong, um, if we're not careful and we don't see our work life as the opportunity that God has created it to be, we can really miss the opportunity to be intentional in pursuing relationships there. We can be quick to leave, quick to get out of there, quick to get to care group, quick to get to whatever it may be, because in our view of what matters, that's where the action is, where there may be a ton of action right underneath our nose if we were to make time to care about people, take an interest in them, get to know them, learn how to barbecue, learn how to you know forbear with people to say four-letter words all the time and not grimace or be weird or... You know, learning how to engage that arena and, and love and serve those people. I, I think that our our idea of evangelism, typically we think we got to go someplace we never go and talk to somebody we never talk to in a way we never communicate versus seizing the opportunity in the fields God's put us today Excellent. and and be the kind of employee that people like, be the kind of person people like, care about people, invest, serve. That may be where the... And if we were to do that, it could really change everything in terms of our evangelistic mm-hmm. opportunities. Not because we want to close the deal, but because God loves those people. And that's why we're there. Yeah. That's excellent. I, I think it's a great point. And I just think about the, the few conversations where I've really been able to really dig into somebody's life and really pour into their life and how much of a difference it makes. I mean, you just see in their eyes, like, why does somebody care? You know, why, why does this matter to you? Why do you even ask? Why, and nobody else even thinks to ask me this. None of my friends even think to ask me this kind of thing. You know, just how much the Lord can use the simplest, you know, hey, notice you came in late, you know, a couple of days. Is everything okay? You know, th- how much that an makes a difference life, yeah. compared to what they're so used to. Whereas here, it's, it feels like that sort of might be flippant. I mean, that's kind of, I, I just assume John's going to come up to me and say, hey, how was your week? Mm-hmm. I don't even think twice about that, but, but, 
to the people that I work with, that's you know, that's mind blowing. When you thank them for doing a good job about something, yeah. you know, they're they're like they don't even know what to say or how to mm-hmm. how to react to that. So I think just it doesn't have to be you know you don't have to be the gifted evangelist who right. can just you know has the perfect word at every moment. It's just taking an interest and pouring your life into and, and stopping and saying, you know, it's okay if we don't get that done right now. Let's make sure so-and-so is okay. Let's go check on them. You know, that Excellent. kind of thing. It, it makes all people. the difference in the world. Yeah. yeah. You want to jump in there? Just just the thought that I think I try to be intentional, try to be intentional at the start of each day. Who am I going to meet with that day? Pray about those different meetings. Lord, how can I serve this person? Uh, as Bob said, how can I be the mask of God uh, to this person today? And that, that's probably the word we use the most at work. Let's serve these people. It, it keeps you in a good frame of mind and heart um, to come across the right way. Guys, thank you. Uh, our 20 minutes are up, but I wanted to thank you guys. I asked Bob, could I do one thing in the meeting? Bob kind of leads the men's ministry, and he and I connect on this and plan. It was his idea for me to do uh, games and giveaways. Um, but my idea and request, after asking him to speak, uh, my idea and request was to do this, because I just said, could I interact with these guys? Because I want to learn uh, from you and benefit from your experience and, um, you know, uh, and I'm jealous for many of the opportunities you have because of your calling and wanted to benefit from um, what you're doing, what God's teaching you, and what you're engaging in in the marketplace. Because in this discussion, uh, oh, it's gone, but I'm the mosquito on the behind of the whatever. When we're talking about engaging in our marketplace, uh, I, I, don't, I don't have the same opportunity you do. So thank you. Thank you for your example. I know each of these four guys and uh, we could have hauled the number of other guys up here. There's tremendous men and examples in this church. But I know each of you guys and uh, know what you stand for and, uh, and know what kind of men you are who love the Lord. And thank you for your example. Thank you for being willing to come up here in front of everybody uh, and answer some questions as well. Could we give these guys a hand? You've been listening to Man to Man, the men's ministry of Grace Church in Frisco. Please plan to join us the last Sunday in October, the 29th, for our next group-wide men's ministry event. Additional resources are on the Man to Man page of the church website, along with more information about events. Also, please join us for a Sunday morning or community group. More information is at gracechurchfrisco.org.